Greetings. <laughs> Hello, that's Sarah. That's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. rye that is the that i agree that's the best one yet it is do you want to describe it ryan he said no okay hold on i don't know i i don't know the ingredients so i'm gonna guess well first of all well i'm not guessing about the giant ball of ice in the center Uh, correct which is great that Um, is made of water that is (laughs) (laughs) thank you teacher emily um so it tastes like whiskey correct and honey Yes. Because I smelled the honey on the stove earlier, so that yeah. I didn't guess. Um, lemon. And I knew the lemon and the grapefruit, <laughs> so I guess the only thing I was guessing I was, like, was the really whiskey. going to pretend <laughs> to guess this? I guess. So, but there isn't a mixer. It's just the honey, lemon, whiskey, and grapefruit. Grapefruit. Grapefruit peel. What? what is it called, Em? It is called... Regal Gold Rush. Oh. Regal Gold Rush? It's oh, real good. good. Right? Seriously. Show. Episode, episode number nine really hitting our it cocktail really stride. Did. Yeah, Ooh, I like yeah. that a lot. I know. How's it going, Em? How's your Looking week? It up. It's pretty good. How's your Thanksgiving? It was good. It won't be Thanksgiving when, when this airs, now, but it was for us. It'll be way far away. Yeah. Yeah. it up. Yeah. It was nuts because it was raining and there were a billion people there and we all had to be inside. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And your folks came to. Yeah, my yeah. parents came, which was nice. <laughs> but like. There's like it was at Ryan's parents' house and have you been you've been there? Yes. Right. I was there for Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. It's big, but there's Are not a recording? lot of like seating for okay. like meals and stuff. Right. So like they Hello. set up their patio furniture in their garage and like put a TV out My there. Bed. So it was like nice, but it was cold. Yeah. California has one job, and when it fails at that one job, and there's actual weather, yeah. like, all hell breaks loose. Like, yeah. nobody's houses are built for it. No. None of the roads are prepared for it. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of family, I was telling Ryan about this documentary I just watched uh-huh. about families, and I was like, ah, can't, can't we tell Emily about <laughs> it? But I was like, wait, wait for the podcast. Um, so Katie and I were, like, you know, looking for true crime documentaries the other Classic. night, as we do. This is not a true crime documentary. I just, like, saw it on the list of yeah. docs and was like, oh, we should watch this. Turned out to be phenomenal. Um, it's on Hulu. It's called Far From the Tree. Okay. And it is stories of kids who were not what their parents expected. So the guy who, like, it's based on a book, like, that's a book of true stories. Uh-huh. And when this guy came out as gay to his parents, like, they were horrified. Yeah. And because he was, like, not what they expected their son to be. Yeah. And so he went out and gathers stories of, like, other kids who weren't what their parents, their parents. expected. Yeah. Like, it's everything from, like, a kid who was born with Down syndrome to a kid who wound up in prison to, like, just, just this whole variety yeah. of things that you that these parents didn't expect. And like, it is so powerful because it's all about like the love 
and commitment of these parents who are still like so fiercely devoted to their children, even though like life circumstances threw them for a loop. Um, So Katie and I were bawling our little eyes out. It was really good. Yeah. Far from the tree tree. on Hulu. Also like one of the kids is in prison. And, that and was they about interview him in prison? No, they interview oh. the family. Oh. Um, so that's as true crimey as it got. Yeah. Like, there was that element. Where there's got to be at least one there's person. There's got to be, yeah. And one slight connection to crime. Right, right. And so, it, like, that was fascinating because fascinating it was from the perspective of this kid who, like, committed the crime, his family. Yeah. Right? And the parents are like, it's our kid. He's our responsibility. Yeah. And so, obviously, I ruined all the good vibes of watching that documentary by immediately googling the court case <laughs> oh my god and then i was like oh no i need to get back to like the warm and fuzzies yeah. that this gave me um, like, can i share this story? yeah exactly and then i was like no oh um also because it was like real dark um mm. but yeah far from the tree super super good far from the tree far from the tree nice. well yeah yeah <laughs> Do i want- was like trying to think of what i've watched recently because i just oh icarus I just rewatched Icarus. Oh, okay, I know what it's about, Netflix. but I've never watched it. It's about the Russian doping scandal, mm-hmm. and like, it's it's just a really good documentary. I think maybe one day I'll do that story. Yeah, no, it's a good one because, like, the documentary is just so good because it's this guy who he's a, like a a biker, like cyclist. He's a cyclist, but also like a director, and he's set out to do this documentary about what doping like does to your body. And so yeah. he um, like gets on a doping regimen and one of the doctors who's like prescribing him the steroids, whatever it actually is called says like, Oh, you should talk to this guy, Gregory in Russia because he like worked at the Russian anti-doping agency. And so like he knows a lot of stuff. And then like the main guy finds out that like this guy was like, the guy who, like, changed the tests to, like, hide Oh, so he doping. was helping people dope. Yeah. Okay. And it just turns into this crazy, like, Russia's trying to kill this guy. They got to get him into, Of course, into, like, Russia was trying to kill yeah. that guy. They killed, like, two other people. It's, that's, you just got to watch that's it. That's crazy. It's and it's just made really well. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And it was doping for, like, cycling or doping for, for what? For all Olympic sports. Oh, my gosh. So if you don't pay attention to the Olympics... Like me. Yeah. And uh, when the Olympics were in Sochi, I think it was 2014. Sure. Okay. For the Winter Olympics, they, the like, somehow they found out that, like, all the Russian athletes were on yeah. steroids. And so they, like, started researching and found out that, like, yeah, they were totally faking the tests. Oh, my gosh. And they were all on steroids. And so they banned the Russian athletes from the Rio Olympics. Okay. And ended up, the Olympic Committee, like, rescinded that and let all of the um, athletes except for track and field from Russia compete. So, in Rio, Russia didn't compete in track and field. And that's why they tr- they hacked our elections? Yeah. Yeah, that was probably it. It is. Getting back at us. That's... Because we control the Olympics. <laughs> do we, though? We probably... I, I mean, we probably secretly do. Yeah. Um, Okay, I was thinking about the dope. There's a doping uh, documentary that's specifically about cycling, um, and I know of it not because 
any part of me is into cycling, yeah. but because that's what my dad does competitively. Um, and so like during the summer, my dad gets up super early and watches all the Tour de France um, uh-huh. stuff because he was a big Lance Armstrong fan. And so when it came out that like Lance had been doping yeah. after like adamantly being like, nah, dude, for so long, my sweet father was heartbroken. Um, but I was like, dad, take up a hobby like me. Watch yeah. true crime while you sit on the couch. And, and you will be excited about Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Armstrong be, you, be being excited. a criminal. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and that will be yeah. satisfying. Your hero is well, a criminal. Just like, why do you have to have a hobby that is just so strenuous? Yeah. Like, I don't. Does he cycle? Oh, girl. He competitively cycles. My dad has done the Leadville 100. Legville? Led, Leadville. Oh. Leadville that. 100 six times. So it's a hundred mile mountain bike race at 10,000 feet elevation. Where? In Leadville, Colorado. So Leadville, Colorado is this tiny mining town like that's higher elevation than Denver. Like you drive up and up and uh-huh. up. Lance Armstrong actually used to do this route to train for the Tour de France. Uh-huh. So I, yeah, my dad is absolutely bananas. Um, and you have to finish in under 12 hours or else you don't get like, you're, you don't officially like finish. Yeah. A third of the riders who start don't finish because it's oh my friggin' gosh, brutal. Yeah. It's crazy. I went one year to like be his pit crew because you like stop at different points uh-huh. to give them like fresh water and like protein bars and stuff. And the year I went strictly to sit in a car and hand him protein yeah. bars. Like, I couldn't breathe when I walked up the <gasps> stairs at our Airbnb oh because there's no oxygen. Um, so that's another chapter in my memoir about being a deeply yeah. unathletic child born to very <laughs> athletic parents. Um, but that's the subject of a different podcast. Bye, Ryan. Oh, you're making more? Yeah, we are going to want some more because this are. is legit. I'm going to suck this down. It's really good. It's real good. Um, kudos, Ryan. You're getting a raise. Um, well, you should tell your dad to watch Icarus it, I, if he hasn't yet. Yeah. No, I'll for sure pass that along. The good, like, two-thirds of it are about this cyclist guy. Okay. So. It's good to know. And my yeah. mom loves true crime, really so maybe good. they'll watch it oh, together. It's perfect. Perfect. Match made in heaven. Well, yeah. speaking of true crime. Yeah. You said you wanted to go first? I said I wanted to go first because this-ish is dark. Like, I, because we are recording just a few days it's only been a few days since we recorded last. Yeah. I feel like I was really hustling for a story here. And as I was writing it, I was like, this might be too dark. This might not be like a good thing, but it's interesting um, and it's unique. Ryan's going to have nightmares. Yeah, Ryan's going to have nightmares. So That's sorry, fine. dude. Um, did you seriously dream no. about the cases? No, he said if I actually oh. dream. Okay, then he's fine. Yeah, Ryan never has dreams. Okay, then he's absolutely fine. <clears throat> okay, Emily. Except I've been having these weird dreams. About what? Where I'm dreaming that our child is on the bed, like, crawling around, and he goes to, like, crawl off the bed, and I wake up because my hand hits Ryan's face because I was reaching for our son, and Ryan doesn't wake up from me slapping his face, thinking I'm, like, catching our baby. Are you particularly anxious about something to do with your child right now? I don't think so. Huh. I'd love to like psychoanalyze yeah. that, but I don't know what that means other than being worried about your child. I think I this is my theory. And sorry, this has been like 30 minutes. No, I love this. Um This is episode 9. Is Either they like us talking about nonsense or they or don't. Or they're gone. Yeah. Um is that since it's been cold, we sleep with a very 
strange amount of blankets. Okay. So I have my heater blanket that's like smaller than twin size. So it covers from like my chest to my toes. Okay. And then we have a like thin comforter that goes over us. And then Ryan has a weighted blanket that goes over him and half of me. Okay. And then we have like a soft blanket for Because he's a covers our, hog? Our cat. Yeah. He steals covers. Okay. Yeah. And so I am like not comfortable at night with the weird amount of blankets. Okay. And it's and gotten into your subconscious? Yeah. Because I think I'm just like all night moving around. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fall off the bed. Right. And so it just becomes right. our child falling okay. off the Well, bed maybe that bed. is it. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're perfectly at peace with everything going on with yeah. your child. That's funny. We'll see. I seriously, Ryan is making more of these cocktails, and I want to take a bath in this honey-like oh liquid stuff he's got on. The Can I get just a cup of the honey syrup? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, back to the darkness that is this true crime story. I'm going to tell you the story of... <laughs> Excuse you. I'm really sad that for my first burp, it wasn't louder. Well, hopefully you will do better next time. Um, I'm going to tell you the story. These drinks are strong. They are so good, though. The story of Catherine Knight, the first woman in Australian history (gasps) to be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. You ready for this? I do know this one. Do you know this one? I didn't know anything about this one, and I just was like, yeah. I, this is the one I texted you where I was like, I just wrote this story and I just feel really gross and inside. I want to watch puppies on the internet. I, I researched that story and then was like, nope. <laughs> not going to do <laughs> well, that Well, aren't you glad that I did? Yes, it's, it's very interesting. It, it's interesting, but it's... it's Okay. Yeah, let's right. go. <clears throat> okay. Catherine Knight was born in 1955 in a small town on the eastern coast of Australia. Her growing up life was incredibly violent and marked by frequent abuse and the alcoholism of her parents, right? Never good. Not good. She left school when, and like, I'm not going into the details of the abuse that she received and witnessed because it was legit, like, too awful and dark. Yeah. Um, She left school when she was 15 and took a job cutting cloth at a clothing factory. There, she was quickly promoted to boning like in in clothes, get your minds out of the Ryan, gutter. Uh, Gosh, Ryan. Uh, like boning in clothes, you know. I, yeah. Um, and she was given her own set of knives um, oh. as a part of that job. So at home, the knives were hung over her bed so that they, quote, would always be handy if I needed them, end quote. What, for boning? <laughs> or I don't know if you had like a, an emergency boning <laughs> that needed to happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, how could you not? It was right there. So, but she continued this habit of sleeping with knives above her bed. Wh- that would always be handy for many, many years. Bef- so basically yeah. until she went to prison. Spoiler. So in 1974, Catherine marries a man named David Stanford Collette, who was also a heavy drinker, not unlike her father. At their wedding, David says that Catherine's mother, Barbara, took him aside to give him a little bit of advice, you know, as a parent uh-huh. does I'm on nervous. a wedding day. Um, and this is, he, he says, end quote, the old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll effing kill you, 
What the? Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're effed. Don't ever think of playing up on her, cheating on her, mm-hmm. or she'll effing kill you. Oh, my gosh. So that's the piece of advice. Thanks, Mom. Wish you gave that to me a lot earlier. It's like in The Wedding Singer when he says, this piece of information would have been helpful to me yesterday or any time before your wedding day. So it didn't take long for this advice to ring true, as on their wedding night, Catherine tried to strangle David after having an argument with him. Like for boning purposes? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm done. I... You should be. I'm sorry. That was comedy genius. It would have been bad if you had walked away from it. Um, And this abuse would continue into their marriage. And in 1976, so only two years after they got married, um, David leaves her for another woman. Catherine's erratic and violent behavior continued, including one time she placed her baby on um, local train tracks. Don't worry. The baby was rescued before the train came. I would not have included that in the story if a baby was run over by a train. And then, after setting her baby on the tracks, she took an axe into town and threatened to kill several people. She also slashed the face of a woman on the street and demanded that the woman drive her to go find her husband, the one who had just left her for another woman. So, like, baby girl had a full-on breakdown. Yeah. So, as a result of this behavior, she was in and out of mental institutions uh, for, like, many years. And even, like, this, David came back to her for a brief time because he was, like, because they had a kid together and he was worried about her stability and the kid's safety. Obviously, like, he didn't (laughs) didn't stick around. Um, And by the time they're over for good, they have two daughters together. Okay. So in 1986, she meets a man named David Saunders, who she has a violent on and off. Another David? Another David. David Saunders this time, who she has a violent on and off again relationship with. Um, In 1988, she gives birth to his daughter, and despite her abuse towards him, which included one time uh, hitting him over the head with a frying pan, he puts a deposit down on a house so that they can be a family. Because, like, she's having his kid. And I also can't help but think, like, also this is the 80s and Australia, which I don't know much about, like, culturally. Like, I know now I don't really ever hear men talking about, like, women abusing them, even though that for sure happens. Yeah. Um, And so, like, women have a hard enough time leaving their male abusers. I can't imagine, like, how difficult that would be a man to leave a woman. And because of just, like, gender stereotypes. Back then, people would be like, oh, you can't handle her. Yeah. And it's like, no, she's legit. Hit me with a frying pan. Right. Right. So, like, maybe I could take her, like, fisticuffs to fisticuffs, but, like, yeah. if she's attacking me with weapons. Yeah. At, anyway. and No fair. I, and I don't know if these men, like, abused her back. Like, yeah. it doesn't say, but that doesn't, that's not okay. And it's, it, anyway. Yeah. It's all, all shades of yeah. messed up. So, he puts a deposit down on a house so they can be a family. Catherine proceeds to decorate the house with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. That's very, uh... It's a very specific aesthetic. Uh, No space, including the ceilings, was left uncovered. What the? So this is go big or go home. I'm gonna go home. With that rustic chic vibe. So her abuse towards David Saunders only escalated, which caused him to go into hiding. Yeah. Uh, in 1990, she becomes pregnant by another man and gives birth to her fourth daughter, 
but she leaves this guy for a man she had been having an affair with um, named John Price. So, so there's been four guys so, there's so far. Four children, four father. Well, no, there's three fathers of her children, um, and then the fourth father of her child she leaves for a man she'd been having an affair with. So there's a lot of men. Okay. So she gets together with this guy named John Price, and he has three children from a previous marriage. And despite knowing about her violent past, has Catherine move in with him and his kids. Is she, like, super hot? I I do not understand um, why I have been single for a year and think I'm delightful. Um, You are. Thank you. Uh, And I don't – so I don't know what the deal is here. Um, how she is able to... Yeah, she must be super hot. She must be super duper hot. Um, so he knows about her violent past, but he has her, and I'm assuming her daughters, move in with him and his kids, a really messed up Brady Bunch in 1995. So in 1998, Catherine and John get into an explosive argument about why John refuses to marry her. So Catherine decides, uh, as a way to get revenge, to make a videotape of items she says John has stolen from his workplace. And apparently he had a really good job and, like, made really good money. Um, And so she makes this videotape, and she sends it to his boss. Oh, no. Who has no choice but to fire him, even though he's worked there for 17 years. And, like, the article that I read said that, like, he had been foraging stuff from the trash to, like, repurpose from the job. So it wasn't, like... It wasn't like he was, like... Yeah. Stealing useful. Right. But he, like, loses his job anyway. That sucks. Yeah. So after this, John kicks her out. He's like, get out of here. But a few months later, he initiates them getting back together. But he won't let her move back in. Uh, The fighting became even more frequent, and most of John's friends would no longer have anything to do with him while they remained together. Have you ever had that where, like, you ended a friendship or wouldn't talk to someone because you didn't like their partner? No, but I told her I don't like him. You shouldn't marry him. But she did. Yeah. People have a a way of um, doing what they want sometimes when they shouldn't. Are they still married? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm not going to ask any more details. <laughs> um, <coughs> anyway. I'm not so, going to tell you who it is. Why won't you tell me? It's just you and me here. Um, okay, so fast forward to February of 2000. They're still together. And while over at John's house, Catherine stabs him in the chest, though not fatally, and he kicks her out again. Yeah, that's kind of where I draw the line, too. Is stabbing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Hard pass. So on February 29th, on his way to work, so the same month that he has sta- that she has stabbed him, John is on his way to work. He stops at the magistrate's court. So I think like the local courthouse in Australia. Okay. In whatever town they're in. And he takes out a restraining order against her so that she would stay away from him and away from his children. I have no idea if she was abusive to the kids. I don't know if she was abusive to her own kids. Like nothing said. Um, I mean, she put at least one of them on a train In serious danger. That's true. So that afternoon, John tells his co-workers that if he didn't come to work the next day, it was it would be because Catherine Knight had murdered him. Despite that's, that's always a red flag. Oh, if someone if you ever feel the need yeah. to say that. Yeah. If yeah. someone ever says to you, if I go missing, right. it's so and so. Which don't let them leave your sight. <laughs> so fun, not fun, haha, but like fun, interesting story. Um, I have cousins in Newport Beach who were friends with um, well, who was O.J. Simpson's wife that he killed? 
Yeah. Why can't I think of her name? That's terrible. I should know her name in telling this story. But they were friends with OJ. Nicole Brown. Nicole Brown. Yes. Good job. Um, they were friends with OJ and Nicole uh-huh. Brown. Like they used to play Scrabble together and stuff. Nice. And Nicole said to my cousin, if anything ever happens to me, like he did OJ. it. Uh, um, did your cousin have to testify? Yes, she did. Dang. Like I think she was in the grand jury testimony, yeah. but she wasn't in like the courtroom testimony. Um and again, like his coworkers are like, please don't go home. Um, but he said that he was afraid that Knight would hurt his children if yeah. he didn't if he didn't go home. And again, like I'm sure there was some like confusing gender stuff going yeah. on there. It was like, how could she True. possibly be a threat to you? But also like I would do anything to protect my kids. Totally. No, for sure. Know? And I don't wanna like it's weird because I feel like I instinctually know not to blame the victim when it's a woman, but I feel more comfortable doing it when it's yeah. a man. And so I have to like I have to catch myself here and yeah. be like, oh, yeah, I have to apply those same standards. It's because, like, there's just n- not as many male victims. Totally. This is part of the reason why I did this story is because, like, I mean, women are murderers, but I feel like they're murderers at a lesser rate than men are. Yeah, and they're usually, like, portrayed as being, like, crazy. They're right. usually, like... Which it sounds like Baby Girl was. Yeah. Um, But... I feel like the research shows that men and women murder for very different reasons. Um, So I was like, okay, I want to find, like, I want to diversify my stories a little bit. And then this popped up because it was like, first woman in Australia, like, sentenced to life in prison. So that evening, John goes home, and Catherine isn't there. But he finds, like, somebody left a note or something, gets a voicemail, that uh, she had sent the kids away to have a sleepover at a friend's house. Even his kids? Whatever kids were sleeping under that roof got sent away. Um, so he spends the evening with his neighbors, like doing whatever. And then around 11 PM returns home to go to bed. Catherine arrives after John has fallen asleep and they have sex, um, which I don't like makeup, you know, sex. I I couldn't tell you. I I wasn't there. Um, and after that price, John price falls asleep. So the next morning, John's coworkers grow concerned because he doesn't show up for work. Oh no. They drive over to his house and thinking like maybe fingers crossed, I'm sure they were hoping he's overslept. They knock on his bedroom window, like hoping to wake him up, but nobody comes to the door. Then someone notices that there's blood on the front door. Oh no. And the police are called. So around 8 a.m., police arrive and they break down the front door to find John Price stabbed to death and Catherine Knight unconscious after attempting to overdose on sleeping pills. Mm. The forensic evidence would confirm that John had woken up after Catherine's first blow. So, like, her first (gasps) blow to him was while he was sleeping. Oh, no. Um, And he attempted to get out of the house. Thus, the blood on the front door. That's so scary. Because apparently he got as far as the front door, but had either, like, passed out or been dragged back in. Which is where she eventually killed him. This is, you may think it's bad now. This is where it gets next level. Oh, no. Okay. Whew. Prepare. Let me take. Yeah, a take drink. another drink. I gotta take, take drink. another drink too. So so good. Yeah. So several hours after John Price had died, been killed, Catherine had skinned him. What? Did you not get to this part when you did when you looked it nope. up? Oh, girl, she skinned him and hung the skin from a meat hook in their living room. 
I have so many questions. How did she know how to skin things? I don't Why know. It seems like she was pretty in their living room. <laughs> seems like she was pretty outdoorsy from the way she decorated her house with the first guy. I just assume she found those things at like garage sales. I mean, that would have to be a very specific type of garage sale. But if they're living in a rural area, yeah, no, it gets, it gets worse. She skins him. She hangs the skin from a meat hook in their living room. She then decapitated Price and cooked parts of his body, serving up the meat with baked potato, cabbage, oh, no. squash, and gravy in two settings at the dinner table, along with notes beside each plate, each having the name of one of Price's children on it. She set the table for his children with to eat their father. With w- the weird thing to me is like real food and then body parts. Like, don't get me wrong, all of it is weird. Yeah. But that it's either if you're gonna go creepy, morbid cannibalism, why are you making cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy to put at the table? To trick the kids into I don't know it, that I it think. was even I don't know. It's eight in the morning. Is she actually expecting them to come home and eat a full plate? Like, she I, skinned a guy. I, yeah, I also don't think the like logic has a whole lot yeah. to a role to play in yeah. this. So, uh. <clears throat> Price's head was found in a pot of vegetables on the stove. Hmm. So, skin nice hanging in the living room, head in a pot on the stove, rest of the body at the, the dining table. table. Knight had arranged what was left of John Price's body with the left arm draped over an empty soda bottle and his legs crossed. What the heck? I don't know. What also, means. thank you for showing for, us. For showing you our audience. changed I ma- hands. I changed so hands. So that you could put your left hand. <laughs> so that I could show you how around nothing. That will translate to our podcast yes. very well. So in 2001, Catherine Knight pled guilty to the murder of John Price. When, when, and when did the murder happen? 2000. Okay. At the sentencing hearing, Knight's lawyers requested, this is interesting. Sorry, now I'm burpy too. This is just the burps podcast because this it is really all we is. do after we drink cocktails. Well, it's because we eat dinner and then... And then we yeah. drink and then we burp. And then we burp. So at the sentencing hearing, Knight's lawyers requested that she be excused to avoiding hearing some of the facts of the case. Because they were too troubling. And did the judge say, nah, dude. But the application was refused. When the forensic pathologist took the stand and described the skinning and the decapitation, Catherine had became hysterical and had to be sedated. Which is like, but girl, you were there. You, you did this. You, you also, did it. to skin a human being, a grown man, like that, I'm sure, took hours. Yeah. I, anyway, she had to be sedated. On November 8th, um, the, the justice presiding over the case pointed out that the nature of the crime and Catherine's apparent lack of remorse required a severe penalty. He sentenced her to life in prison and ordered that her papers be marked never to be released. The first yeah. time that this has been imposed on a woman in Australian history. In June 2006... Uh, Catherine Knight appealed the life sentence, claiming that a penalty of life in prison without the possibility of parole was too severe for what had happened. Huh. Huh. Justices Peter McClellan, Michael Said, Adams, nah. yeah, and Megan Latham dismissed the appeal in the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal in September, with Justice McClellan writing in his judgment, quote, this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. Yeah. End quote. So Catherine Knight remains in prison without the possibility of parole 
And that is the story of her murder of John Price. Way to make history. You know? You know, sisters are doing it for themselves. We are tired of all the interesting (laughs) stories going to men. Um, But yeah, that... That was a doozy. And, like, weirdly, I feel like there's not a lot out there about this. Like, I Googled, and there wasn't. You would think something like this. There should be horror movies based on this. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe because it's Australia? uh, I don't know. Or maybe it's just so gross that people people were like, we don't need. Let's ignore this. Let's ignore this. Um, but I would like I would have loved to have read something that like psychiatrist said about the whole like yeah. cooking him thing. Yeah. Um, but there just wasn't a lot out there. But she is still it, it just like that five years after she was sentenced, she's like, this was too rough of a thing. It's like it's like you don't get I to could decide maybe, that. Right. I could also I could maybe understand that argument if like you killed someone in self defense or you were like an yeah. abused even even if you were like an abused woman who killed someone in their sleep, which yeah. I'm not like advocating for, but at least there's context for that. Yeah. And there's like this is like this is what the heck. Yeah. And it's it's obviously premeditated since she sent all the kids away. Right. She knew she was gonna kill him. Totally premeditated. Maybe she killed him and then like snapped and like didn't remember doing the rest of she, it. I mean, just based on everything I read about her, like she's severely mentally yeah. ill. Um, but uh, yeah, but definitely premeditated. Wasn't like a, I snapped in the moment kind of yeah. thing. Um, maybe I snapped in life, it yeah. sounds like, like the moment I came into the world. Um, but yeah, that's the story of Catherine Knight. I'm also just like pumped to s- like drink this cocktail while you tell me a story yeah. because I've been like putting it off. And okay. it's delish. It's really good. So I really hope that I'm not too tipsy and ruin this story. Got a girl. You couldn't ruin it. It would only add to it. We'll see. I'm doing the Circleville Letter Writer. Ooh, I think Maybe. I've heard this. But yeah, yeah. Do, do tell. Okay. So most of this takes place takes place in Circleville, Ohio. Okay. If you listen to My Favorite Murder, they are obsessed with the pumpkin show that they do there. Oh, Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Ryan's having a tough time. I'm a, really sorry no. about that one. I was writing it. And I was like, Ryan's gonna hate this. Gonna this. <laughs> this one's better, Ryan. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. So, March 21st, 1976, school bus driver Mary Gillespie receives a strange letter written anonymously. The letter was written with poor grammar and bad punctuation, and in all like capital block letters. So for, like, periods and commas and for basically any punctuation, they used a semicolon instead. So it's like, looks super weird. Um, the letter accuses her of having an affair with the superintendent the, the, of the district she works for. And she's the school bus driver? Yeah. Okay. Not that that can't happen, but okay. They just, they don't Feels ever like really meet. Cross paths, but yeah. all right. And that if she didn't stop the affair, that they would put a bullet in her daughter's head. So Yikes, that pretty escalated extreme, quickly, right? Yeah. So she decided the best thing to do is to hide the letter. That'll probably make it go away. Yeah. And then eight days later, later, she receives another letter saying kind of the same thing. Like, if you don't stop this affair, then we're going to expose the affair and you guys are going to like lose your jobs, basically. And she continues to ignore the letters. And then later, her husband, Ron, receives a letter like, with similar content. So, saying, like, your wife's having an affair with the superintendent. Like, you need to stop it or we're going to hurt you. And so, he, like, confronts Mary. And she's like, it's not true. I'm not having an affair. 
I got these letters too, but I've been ignoring them because I'm not having an affair. So I assume it's just some like prank. And so Ron and Mary consult with Ron's sister, Karen, and her husband, Paul, fresh, fresh hour. And Mary tells them that she knows who's writing the letters. And they all together decide, okay, we're going to write letters to the person who's writing them Mary, letters. the school bus driver, yeah. says, I know who's writing these? Yeah. Okay. And so they're like, okay, we're going to write a letter to that person okay. saying we know who you are. So they write a handful of letters to this person who they think it is, which, of course, they don't tell anybody else who they think it is. Okay, so they're guessing at who they think it is. It's yeah. not like the original letters had a return address. Like, right. please Correct. reply. Okay. Yeah, there's right. no return address. Doesn't sign it. Emily, if you got a letter in the mail like this, who would you oh. guess it was from? I don't know. Me? Probably. Probably. That makes sense. I would be thoroughly creeped out. As you should. Because I'm trying to think, like, if I got a letter like that, would I be like, oh, Dave, prankster. Yeah. You know, I would have a hard time thinking of someone in my life. Yeah. Because, like, they know my address. So they either know where I live. Well, they know where I live. Sure. So either they, like, got my address from somewhere or have been to my house. Well, Circle Girl is probably not very big. Yeah. And also, like, phone books were still a thing. It's true. Um, But anyway, it just, like weird that you can think unless you had some weird life circumstances yeah anyway so anyway so they write letters to the person they think is the writer and just they're not threatening or anything they just say like we know who you are stop and so the letters stop for a little bit and then august 19th 1977 so it's been a little over a year ron receives a phone call at home while mary it's been a quiet year like well i don't know exactly when the letters stopped okay it's been but a year since they started. Yeah, it's okay. been a little over a year since they started. Okay. Um, so Mary's on vacation with some friends, including Karen Freshour, pa- uh, Ron's sister, Paul's wife. So it's her sister-in-law? Yes, okay. her sister-in-law. So they're all on vacation, and um, Ron receives a phone call, and he gets, like, super upset we don't know what happens on the phone call, but he hangs up, he grabs his gun, and he tells his kids, I'm going to go confront the person that's been writing these letters. And Mary's away. And Mary's and away. Okay. Yeah, and he's home. So he leaves, he gets in his truck, and he drives off to go confront this person. And then a little while later, they find his truck crashed into a tree. And Ron is in the truck, dead. Oh, my gosh. He had died from crashing his car into a tree. On purpose or accidentally? So they declared an accident, okay. but his gun had one spent shell in it. So he had shot at something. Not himself, though. He didn't shoot himself. So I only know this because I watched the Unsolved Mysteries episode, yeah, and they kind of showed what it looks like when you, like, take all the bullets out of a gun uh-huh. and, like, how you know that one's been shot. Mm-hmm. So, like, the shell was still in there, and the bullet part was gone. So they were like, oh, at some point, this gun was shot. Okay. Some point between him leaving the house and crashing into the tree. Okay. But they don't know at what or anything. And so apparently the sheriff, Sheriff Radcliffe, supposedly investigates one suspect, but then ultimately just declares the incident an accident. Gosh, and Mary comes home from vacation and her husband is dead. Yeah. 
It's horrible. I know. So later, the report says that Ron's blood alcohol level was 0.16, which is twice the legal limit. Yeah. Um, but everybody says he didn't drink. Some places say, like, he didn't drink much. Some places say, like, he didn't drink at all. He was sober. Mm. So it was, like, people were a little bit skeptical of, like, why why was he that drunk when he doesn't drink? Um, and then people start receiving letters like all kinds of people around Circleville start receiving letters that Sheriff Radcliffe is covering something up by saying that this was an accident. Are they like a la the original, the style of the original letter yeah. writer? So they're all like in the same oh my like weird handwriting, the same bad grammar, the same punctuation. So it's like very clearly the same person that's writing the letter. Okay. Yikes. So people in Circleville keep getting these letters for six more years. Six, six years? years. I like the story is somewhere in the back of my mind. Yeah. But whoa, and no I wouldn't one knows sleep who it for is. six years. Yep. Yeah. So six years later, now Mary and the superintendent superintendent are together. Wait, but had they been having an affair originally? So they say that they were not having an affair. But someone suggested it, and they were like, "Like, guess we should." Guess, well, I mean, it, I mean, her husband was gone, yeah. so it wouldn't be an affair anymore. But was he, he was married and had kids, so he got divorced. And then they got together, supposedly. Suspicious. I know. And then one day, another school bus driver, a different school bus driver, so not Mary, was, like, driving their route and saw a large man with sandy hair standing by a yellow El Camino on the side of a rural road. And then about 20 minutes later, Mary is driving the same route and notices a sign at that spot. So, like, there's a pole so somebody had, like, set up a pole and then put a sign on it that said Terry Gillespie sucks, which is her daughter. And apparently... Mary's daughter. Mary's daughter, okay. Terry. Okay. Weird. I know. Apparently there had been, like, signs put up about her daughter, like, all throughout town. And, like, Mary and Lynn Ron was alive. He would get up super early in the morning and go tear them all down around the town. They started going up after the letter started, letters yeah. started being written. And in that first letter, he like, threatened to put a bullet in the daughter's yeah. head. What the heck, I know. dude? So whoever this person is is, like, targeting yeah. Mary and her supposed affair and, like, threatening her kids because of this supposed affair. Yeah. And so when she sees this sign, she's like, I've had it. She goes to rip it down. And, like, pulls the sign down, and it's attached to this box. And so she pulls the box down, too, and opens the box and sees that there's a gun in there with, like, a string wrapped around the trigger so that, like, if she were to pull the sign down, the gun would go off Oh, on my her. gosh. So it was, like, this booby-trapped box that apparently didn't go off. And so she gives it to the police, and the serial numbers on the gun are, like, sanded off. But not all the way. So they can still tell what the serial numbers are. And the serial numbers are connected to Paul Freshour. Her, her brother-in-law, who is now divorced from Karen. Okay. So Karen is her dead husband's sister, sister. And this is her ex-husband. Yeah. So the gun so is associated with him. Yeah. So it's Paul's gun. They go to talk to him. He's like, I haven't seen that gun in years. Oh, it got like, stolen. That's yeah. every Law & Order SVU yep. episode that they trace a gun back to somebody. They're like, oh, you found my gun. It's yeah. been lost for so long. Oh. Okay, yeah. And they have him, they do like a handwriting analysis. 
and it matches his handwriting. But let me tell you how they did this handwriting tell analysis. Me. So what they did is they showed Paul one of the letters and said, try and match this as best as you can. And he's like, that's not an analysis. Yeah. That's a paint by number. Yep. Yeah. So, of course, it matches. Because well, so hasn't handwriting analysis kind of been debunked in recent years? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, keep going. So they use that in court, although, like, handwriting experts go, this is not how you do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not how that goes. Yeah. Listen, if you could just say these words confessing to this crime Fine. so we can compare them to each other, yep. that would be great. Great. Um, and so I lost my place. Okay. So then in court, Mary also says that Karen had once told her that she thought Paul might be the letter writer, but you hear people say things like, and I'm not judging anybody, but it's the same thing of saying like, if I wind up dead, it's this personal intimate like person in my life who did it it's like how do you then go about like grocery shopping and like doing laundry and doing all like the ordinary day-to-day stuff with that even small belief in your mind which like I don't understand because Mary thought it was someone else at one point right anyways Paul has a solid alibi for the time he doesn't match the description He didn't have fingerprints on the letters or on anything. There was no evidence of any of the supplies that was used to make the sign or the booby trap. But they still convict him of the attempted murder. Oh, dear. Okay. But the letters don't stop when he's in jail. Oh, dude. So he's in jail and the the letters keep coming and they're still postmarked from Columbus, which is about 200 miles from the prison. So they're like... He must he must be writing the letters and smuggling them out and having somebody go That's to Columbus. That's way too much work. Right. So they're like, all right, we're going to put him in solitary confinement. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then the letters will stop. Yeah. The letters don't stop. Of course not. So the warden is like, okay, he can't be the letter writer. So yeah. he, like, makes an official statement saying, Paul is not the letter writer. We have him here. We're watching him 24-7. Wow. He's not doing it. Um. And then years into his sentence, he finally receives a letter from the letter writer. Oh, man. So let me read it to you. Please. This letter says, now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of, the, out of there? I told you two years ago. When we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha, ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha, ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? Can I put forward a theory as to who I think the letter writer might be? Just based on, like, the level of vocabulary and cadence there? Uh Uh-huh. I think it might be Donald John Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if that doesn't come up at the end of your analysis, I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) No, it's the guy on SNL who plays Donald Trump. It's Alec Baldwin, yeah. No, no, no. No, not Alec Baldwin. He plays Trump. The guy who plays Donald J. Trump. The son. Oh, no, no. That's Oh, you were saying you think it's, tr- you think it's, it's Trump. Uh, our president. Trump Jr. I don't know what his middle initial is. I, oh. just get a ch- I just get a kick out of the fact that Donald's middle name is John. Oh. Like, whose middle name is John? Um, but just saying that that sounds like a tweet that he's crafting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay, so that's... Anyways. Wrote that letter. That's yep, crazy. It does. And after 10 years, Paul was finally granted parole. So not, not 
uh, not like cleared. Yeah. But granted just parole. Granted parole. Okay. And he still to this day like says he's innocent. Well, it sounds like he is. Yeah. Yeah. And the letters keep coming. And then in March of 1992, which was the month that I was born. Oh my, oh my gosh. Kate was born in October of 92. You're basically Cute. my sister's age. That's adorable. Kate, if you're listening. Um, the police chief, James R. What? McKeon from Grove City, which is where Paul and Karen lived before they split up. Mm-hmm. Karen, after they split up, Karen moved into a trailer on Mary's farm. Um, so ch- the police chief... James R. McKeon receives a similar letter, but they're all in lowercase. So it's still weird grammar. Still, Had the other letters all been lowercase, or it was a mix? All uppercase. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, and this new letter says that the original letter writer was Mary. Okay. And that she is the one who killed Ron, and she was also responsible for the death of a Pickaway County teacher named Vicki Coke. Oh my gosh. And then, so Vicky Coke was killed three years after Ron, and it was rumored that Vicky was also having an affair. So they kind of connected with the it. superintendent. No, no, no. okay, just, just like with somebody affair. else. Okay. Yeah. So they were like, okay, maybe these are connected because it's both like people who really hate affairs. Like, okay, so the maybe they're connected, right. right? And so then a second letter was sent to Chief McKeon, outlining how Mary had written the letters. And how she had set up booby traps all over the school. But there's no evidence of these booby traps. They can't find anything. Excuse me? Also, if it was someone who really hated affairs and Mary was having an affair, she didn't kill Vicky for having an affair. Right. But, okay. That just, it throws a whole nother twist in here. And then in 1993, the show Unsolved Mysteries, which I watched, it took me forever to find for some reason. In season seven, episode six... (laughs) You can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's great. There's a whole lot of other stories in that episode that are really interesting. Um, so they received a letter with the same, like, large uppercase block font. The show did? The show does. Oh, my gosh. And so, like, you can Google, like, compare, like, the original letters that Mary received and the one that Unsolved Mystery receives. And they're the same person. <coughs> or a like, really good copycat. Because, like, if that's out there in the world, like, of course, some lunatic. But, or it could be the same person. Who knows? Who can say? I think it's the same person. Yeah. All right. I believe it, too. So they, like, basically tell the show, like, forget about Circleville. Don't come here. Don't tell this story. Because they were already researching it to do an episode on it. And so that doesn't really dissuade them. So it it gets sent to them before they air the episode. Okay. That persuades me more that it's the original person. Because it's one thing if it's aired and like all of America yeah. has just recently heard yeah. that story, but but okay. it's somebody who like who's knew local and that knows that it's coming. happening. Yeah. yeah. So here's some of the theories that are thrown out there. Mary did have an admirer at work, and so maybe this admirer was jealous of her and wanted to like slander her and maybe think that maybe she would have an affair with and them and threaten her child. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Another theory that seems really plausible is that the superintendent's son was maybe writing the letters and that she was indeed having an affair. Um, In some places I saw that a few of the letters were signed with a W and the superintendent's son name was William. Okay. Um, 
And one of the other theories that I'm not that into is that Paul's ex-wife Karen wrote a few of the letters because her boyfriend, who she had an affair with Paul, on Paul. Okay, cheated on Paul. So she had a boyfriend, and that's why her and Paul got divorced. This boyfriend owned an El Camino and fit the description. Of the sandy-haired man. Yeah, of the sandy-haired man. But my favorite theory that was brought to light by the infamous Derek Waters of Drunk History. Okay. Um, him and Georgia Hardstark talk about this. Amazing. On one of the episodes. God bless. And at the very end, Derek, I think he's trying to like joke about it, but it makes a lot of sense. He said, Mary Gillespie did all of this. And I really believe this theory because she had access to intimate details about people yeah. via the children on the school bus because kids talk about everything. Sure. She had access to the gun, and it was yeah. filed off. The serial numbers were, like, barely filed off. Yeah. So she was probably like, I know this gun is going to lead back to Paul. Okay. She also could have set the booby trap up to not go off. Right. It just seemed like the whole booby trap thing kind of seemed like a weird setup. And maybe she was having an affair with the superintendent and wanted Ron out of the picture and thought maybe, like, Oh, if he is like told by a third party that she was having an affair, maybe he would leave her. And then did she orchestrate him dying or I was that just like a perk? I think it was just a perk. Like a lucky accident. Because she was her. on vacation. Yeah. Obviously I'm, I'm not saying it's a good yeah. thing, but like if that was her plan to have him right. out of a picture. So that was just a fluke thing. I feel like there are easier ways to get your husband to right. leave you, but if you're nuts, yeah. Like maybe that's the only maybe like maybe she was that devious. Yeah. Is she still alive? I don't know. Probably. If seventy four. I think so. Yeah. Um Wow. Yeah. That's the Circleville letter writer. That or letter writers. <laughs> <laughs> that just <On> feel <laughs> like I wanna know the answer to that so I bad. Know, me too. Because cause you know the old <laughs> the old saying that like when you hear hoofs think horses not zebras yeah but but like this is not that story yeah like this is it doesn't matter what the answer is it's gonna be zebras it's exactly because like it is so bizarre and over the top and like may or may not have included a murder yeah you know like nothing fits nothing makes sense like there's no like oh okay well paul did it then it's like but he didn't because he was in jail it's also one of those things that like the fact that Mary and the superintendent got together is so suspect. Yeah. Because. There's I, no way. I feel like if I hadn't been having an affair with someone and then someone suggested I did and like my husband died and like all this bad stuff happened around it. The last person. Yep. Like I would not make eye contact with that person in the grocery store. Yeah. Because you just like don't want to affirm any of that. So that feels really suspicious. Yeah. Wow. That was a good one. Yeah. Good retelling. Good commitment to the research. In reading and watching an Unsolved Mysteries about it. Yeah. I recommend everyone watch Unsolved Mysteries and the uh, Drunk History episode. You can watch it on Hulu. Have I told you that Katie's boyfriend, I found out a few months ago, that his dad. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I've tried to find them. Oh, I'll send it to you. Yes. So my best friend's boyfriend, his dad, is a retired police chief in the state of Texas. And um, Katie and I were hanging out one night watching True Crime, as one does. And Graham called, and she was talking to him on the phone, and she, he, she was saying, like, whatever, we were watching true crime, blah, blah, blah. And Graham tells us 
far too long into this relationship because yeah. I am the third person in that uh-huh. relationship that his dad is on several episodes of Forensic Files. Katie and I flip out. We were like, Graham, we got to hang up. We have to go watch these episodes yeah. immediately. Yeah. And the fact that you've kept this from us for like four months is inexcusable. Um, and it's interesting because we like pulled up the episode on YouTube that the first one that he's on and I called Graham and I was like, Graham, I've watched this episode. Yeah. Like I know this story. Little did I know that this was your dad That's like nuts. cracking the case. I went to Graham's Instagram profile, <laughs> found a picture that his dad was in, went to his dad's Instagram oh profile, found out his name, tried to Google it, oh spent my gosh. far too long trying to figure out what episodes I, he was in. I'll send it to you. Graham, yeah. Graham told us he's in like two. Um, so crazy. That That is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, we watched it. And we were like, Danny Alexander. Danny Alexander. So wild. And also, and like, to be forensic files, like, the holy grail right. of true, true crime. crime. Not an obscure, like, right. w- yeah. Like, oh, he was on. A weird YouTube documentary. Yeah. yeah. About this crime one time. Like, no, no. Yeah. It's forensic files. Forensic files. Katie's met him. I don't think she brought up forensic files, though. That'd be weird. I would. I would, like, have a whole pep talk with myself. Like, don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Hi, I'm Danny. You were on Forensic Files. Tell me everything about this case because it was a case about a son murdering his mother in Tyler, Texas. Holy And it was like moly. so clearly him. It wasn't even funny. Um, that sucks. But yeah. Wild. I know. Uh, well, this is the first time of any episodes I've finished a drink because not because they haven't been good, but because uh, I get worried about drinking too much, but I just couldn't help yeah. myself. That was delicious. But also this has been the best drink. It really has. Did you have a detox question for us, or was I going to go? That's up to you. Do you want to save yours? I don't care. How about you? You go. I'll go. Okay. Um, Because now is the time in our show when we do a detox question to get the murder out of our systems and talk about something else. Maybe learn a fun tidbit about each other. Yeah. Who can say? Anyway, keep going. So my question's definitely really bright and cheery. Okay, Um, can't wait. What song is on repeat in hell? Oh, dear. I thought you were going to say, like, what song do you want played at your funeral or something like that? And that was going to be dark. What song is on repeat in hell? Hmm. <laughs> that is a good question. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that um, that CeeLo Green song, like, and I'm like, oh, get you in a That and, like, a steady diet of Pitbull. Mm. Okay, <laughs> Ryan just mouthed, I love Pitbull. Um, that, I would say, would have to be... Sorry, and now now they just cu- keep coming. Then yeah. That, like, si- it's not simple plan. It's somebody else. It's like, gives you help and it gives you oh help. Oh, my God. Me, 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 me. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Now they just, they, they won't they stop. They keep coming. Here's the thing. Do you ever notice that, like, there's a song that'll be on the radio forever and ever, and then years will go by, and all of a sudden, like, someone decided it was time for it yeah. to start being on the radio again, and you're like, did we take a collective vote on this? I'm sorry. I take away all my other answers. This is the song. Okay, okay. That is on repeat in hell. The Killers, the, um... Mr. Brightside? No, no. The, um... The poor groom's bride is a whore. <laughs> That's not the killer. <laughs> Who is it? That's Panic at the Disco. Oh, Panic at the Disco. I don't care. It's That's like, a good one. I chime in with told you. Like, first of all, the biggest bummer of a song. Yeah. And also, I feel like that song was on the radio when we were in high school. Yeah. We are now in our late 20s, and it's making its second rotation. It I hate that song. 
What about you, Emily? Well, I thought I had an answer, but I think I'm going to change my mind. So okay. I, I was originally, I had really thought this out. I was originally going to say TikTok by Kesha <laughs> because <laughs> it's a great song. It's so much fun. And then the hundredth time you listen to it, you're like, oh my God, I hate this. Yeah. Stop playing this song. And then the 150th time, you're like, yeah, this is great. This is fun. So you're stuck in this infinite loop mm-hmm. of, I love this song. This is the best song. I hate this song. I want to pull all my hair it's out. It's like a bad boyfriend. But now that you like went on that crazy loop, I think what's worse than hearing the same song over and over again is only getting to listen to the first 30 seconds of any song. Yeah, that's true. Because so it doesn't resolve. Yeah, you get just, just enough into it and don't get to fully yeah. enjoy it. So it's just, it's a playlist of all of your favorite songs. That's good. That's a good answer. You only get to listen to the first 30 seconds. That's really good. And right when it gets good, it skips. And you never get the bridge of any of them. (laughs) That, that is a, that's an excellent answer. Emily Guzman. I just said your last name, but I think that that's cats out of the bag on that one. It's on our Instagram. We tagged ourselves on Instagram. We tagged ourselves on Instagram. Speaking of Instagram. Hey, segue. You can follow us at Lightweight True Crime on Instagram. You should rate, review, and subscribe our podcast. Yeah, because now that you're listening to this, you're listening to us either on a Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or, or Spotify. Spotify. Um, one way you can help us out is hitting that follow button on Spotify yeah. or giving us uh, some stars, some uh, some, some stripes, <laughs> some what? Some stripes. Just kidding. It's some just stars, stars, some stripes on Apple Podcasts. Hmm. Let us know how you feel about us. That'll help us out a ton. If you're in this deep to episode nine, thanks for sticking around this long. Yeah. Mom, I really appreciate Hi it. Hi, Mom. Hey, um, if you have any great ideas um, for stories or any good detox questions, you can shoot us an email at lwtruecrime at gmail.com. That's lwtruecrime at gmail.com. And uh, that's all that I've got for you. And that was Sarah. That was Emily. Cheers. Cheers. Talking it up on the Barry Gibbs Talk Show. (laughs) Forever. For the next decade as we do this podcast and make our millions. Talking it up. Because it has different. Yeah. When we sing, we go. (laughs) We are cackly. Talking it up on the Barry Gibbs Talk Show. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Problematic. Ryan Guzman, lightweight true crime. Yes, that's the recipe. That's the recipe. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. All so, right. y- do you want to read it? Because I'll guess what it is and you can read the recipe sure. when we talk about this. Okay. <clears throat> Are we Are recording? recording? Yes. Okay. Okay. Hello. That's Sarah. Talk into it. My bad.